and we've been we've been talking a lot recently about um do you want to, yeah thank you doors and gates and so on and so forth haven't we and I want to sort of mine a similar seam this morning, but um, not so much talk about a gate or a door as such, but about, um, in general, access. I want to focus on the term access, because, you know, as we stand there, we just say, you know, it was Nathan, just like eye to eye with you, hearing God's word. It was because he knew he was responding to God's word, because he could feel the access of God in his life. And it was amazing, and that was what brought the, the tear. And then, you know, access, though, access is two ways, isn't it? All right, the, we talk about when there's any access, you could go one way and you can go the other way. You know, and it's the same with God. You know, we have a Father in heaven who desires, above all else, to have access to you. God wants access to your life. God wants to come to you and God wants to restore you. But then equally, we need access to our Father. We want to be able to access God. We want to be able to come to God so God can restore us and so that God can empower us. And I want to look at both that sort of element today. And I started with thinking, looking at the word access. And we've got it here. Um, Prosegoge, I think, would be a pronunciation. I couldn't find the squiffy little accents to put on the O and the E. Uh, but they're there. Um, but that term access um, and I sometimes think we think about access as a particular point so we think that that door is an access point okay but actually that's not what this term means when it refers to access here it's more that access is a process not a noun the, the access isn't the actual the door okay access is referring to it's so much more personal it's Talking about the movement you make through that space. All right? So it refers, actually, in the Greek, the full translation, the meaning of it is, it means to be brought into a place, brought into a presence. So we have a door, which is an access point, but Steve is brought through that. We're still here. Thank you, mate front row job it's been brought from one place into another that's what access translates as and we, we sometimes I think we don't see that we just think of the door but it's about the process all right and that's what we see here in Romans 5 1 to 2 therefore since we've been justified through peace we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope and glory of God. You see, because the deeper even translation is it refers to being brought into the presence, but it's, it's access that is associated with freedom, but with a freedom which is due to the favour of another. Freedom of, freedom of access, freedom of movement, we're not going Brexit, freedom of movement is due to the favour of another. Access is due to the favour of another. Jesus has bought our freedom. But beyond that, Jesus says, I come to bring you into the presence of God. I come to bring access into the presence of God. Ephesians 2, 17 to 18 talks about Jesus and the Holy Spirit bringing us access. So I thought, that's, well, that's great. That's wonderful. And, you know, 
let's be honest, we shouldn't forget that, should we? We can often become so familiar with, well, Jesus died on the cross for me, awesome. Next. And, and we, we can be too flippant. You know, we need to dwell on the fact. But I, I, I then got this idea that I thought, well, if Jesus and the Holy Spirit are there to bring us into, present, into his presence, then they've got to come first, haven't they? There's got to be some distance travelled from Jesus to you so that he can get to you to then bring you. All right? And he came to mankind on the cross. And obviously it's Remembrance Sunday and it's a Sunday where we think about sacrifice. And, you know, we can focus on the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we know Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross and that enables us to have relationship with a father God. And as I say, we need to ponder on that and think on that. But I sometimes think where we sometimes get it wrong is we think of that singular act as a historical fact. But actually, the act sits in the continuous present. It's an act that matters every day, every minute, every moment, every week. And we need to keep that in focus. We need to keep hold of that. Because that's where Jesus says, at that point is where I come to you. At that point is where then I can bring you into the presence of God. And it started for me looking at Mark. Um, there we go. I was looking at Mark 1 uh, verse 3. And we've got uh, John the Baptist uh, baptising people in the Jordan. It says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So, well, the hymn is Jesus, so we know that. It's talking about Jesus coming, because if Jesus is going to then lead us somewhere, Jesus has got to come. So if Jesus is going to come, there's, there's some work to do before that. All right? There's some work we have to do before that. And there's some work we have to do with that every day. Present continuous. All right? And John the Baptist is declaring Jesus is going to come, but the path needs to be straight. First, I sometimes think we get this the wrong way around. I think we think Jesus came, now I'll straighten myself out. But we need to make straight paths for him. Now I'm not saying Jesus can't just come and find you in your mess, of course he can. But the Bible tells us to make straight paths for him. There's some work to do beforehand. There's some preparation to take place. And um, I thought, well, why? Why does Jesus need straight paths? Okay, I think surely he's more than capable of just materialising exactly at the heart of the matter. Why does he even need to travel a path? I don't, does he? I don't think he does. Not if he wants to. But actually the reality is it's telling us that Jesus wants to travel a path. Why? Not for him. It's about us. We need to be active participants in this. Yeah? We can't just be, well, Jesus, come and do it. There's a, there's a responsibility and an onus on us to be involved, to be active as Jesus comes. So euthus, there you go, that's what straight translates as, and euthus just means to rectify the crooked, and it's referring to moral transformation. We need to get right. Yeah? Making sure that we get our lives right enables Jesus to directly access us. 
All right? So John is preaching a baptism of repentance. And essentially what we're saying is let's get rid of the obstacles. Let's get rid of the things that are in the way. Let's get rid of the things that aren't right, that are wrong, that, that that we want to speed Jesus' influence into our lives. Yeah, we want transformation, don't we? All right, and the, and the best way and the quickest way to do that is to say, well, I'll clear some of the debris too. As opposed to, well, do you know what, Jesus, I'll sit here and let you do it. Come sort me out, Jesus. And once you've sorted me out, then we'll walk. What? Grow up. Yeah? We need to get right and we need to get straight first because... I want Jesus to lead me into the presence of God. I want then God to transform me. Yeah, Jesus can come anyway. But if we've cleared the way for him, if we desire him to come, then how much easier it is for him to do a work within us and maybe how much greater the transformation. Yeah, right. When I'm at school, sometimes, I put it in a different context, right. Uh, one of my jobs, because I'm on like, the leadership team, is that uh, for certain periods during, on different days, I have like a walkie-talkie. And I have to leave it turned on, and I leave it turned on, because if there's something going on that a member of staff needs support with, they can email. And somebody's checking the emails, and they just put a call, could you go to wherever, because somebody needs some support. Um, I hate it. Um, <laughs> Because you're getting on with what you're doing, and then the radio goes, um, Mr. Andrews, are you there? Yes, I'm, well, actually, no, I do, I, I don't know, I say I'm there. Um, so I said, yeah, I'm there, okay, and then you, you listen to it, and it says, can you come to room, whatever, um, and, it, and it might use the student's initials, okay, GDPR, we don't see any names now, um, so you might say student's initials, and you go, and right, being honest, you never know what you're going to. And that's why it's disquieting, because you walk into a room and you're thinking, I don't know, is it a student in distress? Has some, you know, gone on? Is it, is it a naughty student that's disrupting the learning of other people? Is the teacher real? Sometimes you get there and someone's been sick on the desk. Or, you know, it literally could be anything. And you just don't know. And um, so you walk, and as you're walking in, being honest, nine times out of ten, they've been naughty. All right? Uh, and, you, and you're going in. And as you get there, you, you, you walk through the room and you big breath. Because I think, do they know me? Because I'm head of sixth form, I only deal with like big people. All right, they're like 16 to 18, the ones, I, that's all I teach. So does a, a naughty year eight who's 12, who's not even come across me, so therefore does, doesn't attach any authority to me? Yeah, will they do what I say when I get there? Will they respond? I don't know. So you just open the door and you go in. And you say, is everything all right to the member of staff? And you hope they say yes. And, uh, and sometimes they do. It's awesome. Sometimes they don't. They say, could you just speak to so-and-so or take so-and-so? So, right, this is where you gamble. Okay? I just say, I'm sorry, you've been naughty, James. Okay, so I come in. James Seeger, could you just take James Seeger? I'll take James Seeger. Okay. So you come in and you go, right, I walk to the door and I think, right, I'm going to roll the dice. Here we go. James, with me now. <laughs> yes! You see? But you never know that they're going to come. You just never know. So you sit there and behave. Right. Uh, you don't know. You don't. You just pray, and I do pray, that they will. And sometimes they don't. And then, because the reality is, you just want them out of the situation. You want the obstacle removing. 
so that you can then actually work with them. And sometimes they're upset they're being moved out, sometimes they think it's unfair, and then I've got to unpick all that when I now do finally get them out of the room, and we've got to sit, and they might argue a bit about this, that, and the other, and so on. Okay? But sometimes I come to a room, and the student, as I walk in, looks at me, and I just know from their eyes they desperately need my help. Because they might be upset, they might be distressed, they might be situation, they might have been naughty, but they know they've got themselves into a bind. And they need someone to deliver them from it. Yeah. And when they look at my eyes, I don't have to worry about are they going to come with me? Am I going to have a fight? Am I going to disrupt it? Because they're, they're pleading quietly going, just, just help me here. And I go, do you want to come with me? And they go, yeah. And I guarantee I can transform that situation so much easier than I can transform the first situation. Yeah? Are we the same? Are we obstinately stuck in our circumstance? Or are we seeking God to say, I need to renew, remove the obstacles. I'm ready, God. Have straight the access to my heart. Have straight access to my mind. Have straight access to my situation. Yeah? I'm being honest, it's all about repentance, isn't it? It's about saying, these are the things, God, that I need dealing with. These are the things I want to deal with. These are the obstacles. I want straight paths with you. I want you to be able to come straight into my heart. I need to start dealing with these things. And we need to take the responsibility of doing that. So Mark is quoting... Isaiah uh, 40, verse 1 to 5, and uh, just focusing on the sort of, um, yeah, here we go. Yeah, got the right verses. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every mountain shall be raised up. Every mountain and every valley made low. The rough ground shall be made level. So I started looking at this, I thought, well, so to be straight, we want it straight, but we want straightness in the wilderness. Well, I thought, well, what's the wilderness? The wilderness is when stuff's wild and overgrown. Yeah? And our lives can get a bit overgrown, can't they? And a bit wild. And a bit, there's bits that we don't look after. There's a bit where sometimes we leave things to grow that might have been better being pulled out earlier on. Yeah? And I thought, well, how do you transform wilderness? You cultivate it. If you want to transform wilderness, you need to cultivate it. You need to dig it over. You need to pull things out. You need to water it. You need to feed it. You need to tend to it. Are we cultivating our lives? Are we cultivating the bits of our lives that are wild, that have grown wild, that have been left untended? Because maybe the wilderness in some of our lives, and I think we're speaking to everybody really, aren't we? Maybe it's hindering the straight paths of God. We need to cultivate a heart of repentance. Cheery message. Why? Because it creates a highway for our God. I found, I found the use of the word highway a bit random. But anyway, I just get images of tarmac running through Israel. But anyway, um, what does it, what's the purpose of a highway? To lift you above or to get you there quick? Often both. A highway speeds you to your destination. If we can cultivate repentance, if we can straighten out the wilderness in our lives, then we can speed Jesus into it. Yeah? 
because every mountain shall be raised up, every mountain and every valley made low, the rough ground shall be made level, right? God wants to meet us on the level. I think if we really want to fully experience the full glory of his presence, we need to be in a wide open space where we've said, all of this is yours, God. All right? And I think we get a bit hung up on mountaintop experiences. We seek the mountaintop experience and ignore the plain where we spend most of our time. And actually, we, we talk about valleys a lot, and we're, we're not overly keen on valleys, are we? But God says, I want to take out the ups, the downs, the real highs, the real lows, the peaks, the troughs, the drama, the crisis, the lurching from one to the other. Actually, you're not destined to go, oh, it's mountaintop, God, I love you, it's valley, mountaintop valley. No, God say, no, actually, this open space here, this is where I, I said we're going to live. This is where I make you lie down in pastures. All right, so don't, let's, let's not just go mountaintop. I want mountaintop. I want mountaintop. Okay, because you'll find yourself in the valley after you've been up there. I'm not denouncing mountaintop experiences. They're lovely. And valley experiences teach us all sorts of things. Yeah? But actually, you're not meant to dwell in either. You're not meant to stay at this mountain too long. Yeah? But you're meant to pass through the valley. Yeah? Where you're meant to be is on the plain. On the plains of his presence. Oh! All right? We're meant to be, because actually, when it's wide and flat, it's easier to build. It's easier to cultivate. All right? And I think in an open space, in the vistas of his presence, bathed in his light and his glory and his goodness, there's little to cast a shadow. We need to get out onto the wide open spaces of God and we get there through repentance and getting right and saying, Jesus, bring me into that place. So let's cultivate our lives. Let's straighten them out. Remove the obstacles and let God break through. Because God wants to break through. Because look what happens after repentance. Not that Jesus needed to repent. He was modeling baptism of repentance. You know, but it says, doesn't it, Mark 1.10, as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So as Jesus goes through that baptism of repentance, we see straight after, God says, right, you've shown you're ready. I'm here. Because I just thought, torn. The word torn is such a dramatic, sudden, immediate Again, Jesus could have slowly glowed from within like he'd had ready break, couldn't he? He could have just it could have built up and permeated outwards. It could have been a slow, steady um, realization, but the heavens were torn open. And the Holy Spirit descended. There was a suddenness and an immediacy to saying, You've said you're right and you've cleared out. You've made straight the path. So there's a highway for me to get there quick. I'm here. You know, and again, well, I'm doing a bit. I feel I'm getting a bit closer to God. I've read my, uh, an extra verse today. I'm not saying that's bad. Okay, but sometimes it's not inch by inch, step by step, is it? Sometimes God's willing to just break right through. To come straight in. But we're clearing the way first. You know, and I thought, well, 
If you think, where else? I got hung up on the word torn. So then I was like, right, where else have I got things tearing? Okay, well, duh. Um, so, <laughs> took me ages to come up with this one. Um, and I considered, you know, Mark 15, 38, we've got a similar act after the crucifixion, haven't we? Jesus dies yeah. on the cross, and the Bible tells us the veil of the temple. The thing that separated man from the presence of God was torn. There was an immediacy about when things were made right, my presence is there. Make it right, my presence is there. Right, and the curtain, it's not like it was pulled aside. It was not lifted. It was torn. And I thought, well, why? You see, it's how I do Bible study. I find a word, torn, Why? Well, the veil was 60 foot tall, 30 feet wide, four inches thick. It wasn't some ephemeral voil, which I think is how I thought of it. 60 feet tall, 30 feet wide, four inches thick. It took 300 priests to move and manipulate it. They could move it if they were all there. They couldn't tear it. It's not something man could do. Okay? But God could. That immediate, that final action in one go, Jesus put it right. I'm there. You have access to my presence and Jesus is going to lead you there. Accept his sacrifice and now follow him and he's going to lead you into my presence that I've made open for you. You know, we talk about, I think if a veil is lifted, that's about, I think that talks of an awakening consciousness. When the veil is lifted, oh, I understand. This is somewhat different. There's times for that. Don't get me wrong, there's times for that. But actually, this was not about us realising God was available. This was about God acting to restore relationship. And God wants to restore things in your life. God wants to act like that. He wants to rip things open and go, I'm here. But we need to get things right first. We need to get our hearts right, our minds right. We need to be ready for him. God's once-in-a-lifetime action requires your daily action. I'll let that sit there for a minute. Because that was cooler than the response. God's once-in-a-lifetime action needs your daily action. And we forget that too easy. Yeah? God created a point of access, but you've got a role in maintaining it. Let me put it this way. I think this is really for someone, not a door. Um, right, so if I've got a doorway, and it's, an, it's a pine door, there you go, and like, because I love DIY. <laughs> but Rachel and I together have decided that... <laughs> We want the door painting white. Yeah? We're going to paint the door white. We're going to decorate it. All right? And it's going to look lovely. Um, we can decide to gloss it. Okay? How do I prepare it? Okay. Yeah. Look at that. There's my doorway. Hello. No, it's not playing. Oh. It's there. We sand it. Why? Uh, you've been DIYing it recently, haven't you? 
I bet you've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. What, why do we sand it? Oh, Steve will listen carefully. Right. Partly, sanding cleans it up a bit, doesn't it? Yeah? Removes the dirt. Gets rid of the lumps and the bumps. Prepares it ready. All right? But you're exactly right. It does what? Yeah. It's not just about getting it right. It's so the thing that you, that's coming sticks to it. Yeah? Jesus would love to adhere to your life. Jesus wants to be as close as close can be, and he wants to stick there. Okay? But there's some preparation you've got to do for that to happen. Yeah? And then, once I've sanded it, what do I do? Sorry? Okay, I could paint it. I could base coat first and then paint it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to layer it. We're gonna, I'm going to apply this to it. Then I'm going to apply this to it. Then I'm going to apply this to it. We've missed something. <gasps> what have we missed? What, I, what should I do, Pete? Because you love DIY. <laughs> oh, you like getting paid for it. So, uh, you would treat the knots, wouldn't you? Yeah, you see, you would. You'd get your... No, not that one. That's my filler. I've missed that bit. You'd fill bits as well. Um, you get your knotting solution. I'm turning it this way because I couldn't find any in the garage this morning. This, but this, this is knotting solution. Honest. Okay, we treat the knots because sometimes the timber's just got these little thorny bits. Yeah? Blemishes. Even Paul talks about his thorn, doesn't he? Yeah? And sometimes aren't these the bits that need a little bit extra treatment? Yeah? Aren't these the bits sometimes we hide? We keep them away from others? We actually hide them a bit from God sometimes because we think they might be uh, a little bit too ugly or a little bit too ashamed. Or if we could be really honest with ourselves, we, we think, well, nobody could deal with that. Because it keeps coming back time and time again well when you treat the knots the reason you do it is it seals the knot because if you don't seal the knot the the, the resin is going to weep out and it doesn't matter how white you paint those doors if you haven't treated these knots right when you come back you're going to have a little stain that's going to just grow and grow and grow until you've sanded it all back down again and treat that point so we need to get right and we need to repent, but we need to treat the knots. And I really think particularly, uh, this was the bit I felt I definitely had to bring. All right, please don't ignore it. Please don't hide it and please don't think God can't deal with it. God will deal with it. If you say, God, I, I really need focus on this. This is where it keeps, I keep falling. This is where I still struggle okay said god deal with it god help me deal with it yeah let's treat it and get it white yeah god's grace is enough his breakthrough's been made the veil's been torn you've got access into his presence at all times yeah we're meant to look different yeah if you think jesus came up out of the water yeah the sky was torn up and God came and then his ministry started. Yeah? 
when the Red Sea was torn up and the Israelites moved into a new part of their journey. You know, we're meant to be changed. And God says, let's clean it up, let's sort it out, and then let let Jesus lead you into my presence, and then we're going to start something new, something exciting, something transformational. Yeah, God wants to access our lives. He wants us to dwell on the planes of his presence, us to cultivate repentance, acknowledge the breakthrough, and let Jesus take us to meet God, that he can change our lives. But then sometimes we, we, we still... We limit the access. We want to get into God's presence, but we just sort of, we just limit how much we meet God. And I thought, well, why? Here in um, Mark 1, and the whole thing, 40 to 45, you've got Jesus and he's healed the leper. Um, And then it moves on here, verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you do not tell anyone. Okay, so what does he do? Tells everyone. Okay, he goes out. Oh, this happened. But I, want, I didn't get on call that. I thought, well, why does Jesus not want him to tell everyone? So the NIV text notes would tell you. He doesn't want to be seen maybe just as a miracle worker. They see some people think that he didn't want it to hinder his teaching ministry because everybody got hung up on uh, healing, healing, healing. Um, he didn't want another suggestion. He wanted to avoid his premature death. Sounds reasonable, you know, and it's probably all those things because people who are much more learned than me have suggested them, okay? But I also think there's probably just a real much more practical reason Um, in verse 45 because the leper goes out um, and instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places, yet the people still came to him. And I think it just got too crowded. Because everyone knew of what Jesus had done, so everyone flocked. And actually, the pathway that had been open, so he couldn't enter a town openly, that enabled him to position himself to influence things, the, the crowd limited access. And I think, do we crowd our lives? with things that limit the access of God. And I'm not saying we've dealt with sin and repentance, but do we crowd our lives with things that limit our access to God? Because poor access limits opportunity. Clear access amplifies influence. Jesus understood that. You know, what are you crowding your life with? That's going to limit God's access. Why is it hard for you to hear his voice? To see his will in action. Is it crowding your heart? Is, are things crowding your mind? Or in a very physical sense, are things crowding your time? You know, because if things are crowding in, we need to take action. Yeah? I've told this before. Oh, where's my picture gone? I've got them in the wrong order. There we go. If you remember this, I apologise. If it wasn't memorable, you're getting it a second time. Okay, this is Dumbo. And Dumbo is a ride at Disneyland. And we took the kids to Disneyland when Lana was two. Because you're free at two. Um, 
Yeah, should we go in the summer? No, it should be three by then. Let's go in May half ten. Okay, so we went, and the only ride she wanted to go on was Dumbo. Okay, we'll go on Dumbo. Um, so we got there, Dumbo, no fast pass for Dumbo. Dum big queue for Dumbo. Two hour queue for Dumbo. Apparently Dumbo is dead popular as a ride. All 30 seconds of it. Um, so Dumbo's popular, so we get, we get in the queue, it is red hot. So, uh, and standing in a queue for two hours in hot conditions with a two-year-old, that's fun. Um, so we were in the queue and we waited for a while and we snaked round and snaked round and, you know, we'd exhausted all the supplies of snacks in the bag. But at that point, yeah, you feel my pain, parents, yeah? Okay, and then we get to near the sort of the last leg of the, the queue and um, Lana says, ooh, they've all got different coloured hats on. They have. Can we go on the pink one? <laughs> well, Rachel said, I, I don't think it works like that, Lan. And, you know, we'll get through and we'll go to one of the Dumbos and whichever one's free, that's the, that's the one we're getting. Um, oh, tears. <laughs> but I want the pink one. I know you want the pink one, but I, I don't think the pink one might be possible. But I want the pink one. Oh, and she got more and more distressed because she's been queuing for two hours in the hot conditions and she's feeling unreasonable and acting it too and uh, she said I want the pink one so I said we're not going to get the pink one so we, 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 we marshalled her through tears and tantrums and we get to the end and in the end they like corral you in a little area like this um, and they have a gate and when everyone's emptied off one the gate goes and they've got enough people for the dumbos and then they let that lot through so it was like right okay excellent um, and she's still upset still so desperately wants the pink dumbo so I was like, right, time to, be, time to be good dad. So I thought, she's small enough. Okay, so I said, right, Lana. Okay, Rich, you need the bag. You hold the bag. Dad has the bag, doesn't he? Yeah, that's what we do. We carry the bag. Okay, so Rich, you have the bag. Okay, we're going to try and get a pink Dumbo. So I picked her up. I like folded her into a sort of rugby ball shape. <laughs> Just took that in there and put that in there and put that in there and put that. And I said, right, up. So I've got her. Sort of just fitted nicely in there. And I'm like, right, are you ready? When that gate goes, we are going. <laughs> and I was like, are you ready? So, so the gates open, and you know, there might have been other small children there, parents, pregnant women, who cares? Um, it was like, I am off. And it was like, out the way, and just you. And, like, and we fought, and we ran, and we, and we got the pink Dumbo. Because, I understood that sometimes you've just got to get through the crowd. Sometimes you've got to push the crowd aside and say, you know, I'm going to clear a path. All right? What is crowd in your life? Think of the men digging through the roof to get to Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to get through whatever is separating me. The crowd that's in the way, I can get through that because it means more to me to get there. Because I know where, and I understand where I need to be. Yeah? What's crowding your life? Is it somebody else's comments? Is it somebody else's untruths? Push them aside. Is it your hair? I'm sorry your hair, and God's sorry your hair, and God will heal you, but let's, let's stop it crowding you. Is it your fear or your worry? Is it Facebook? 
Is it, is it crowding your time? Does it need to? Have you let... That's the picture that was out of order. Have you let the landslides of life crowd in on your access? We need to clear the way because there's a time for breakthrough. But we can get hung up on waiting for God to break through when it's our responsibility. Yeah, Jesus did his bit on the cross 2,000 plus years ago. He made space, he gave access to the promise. And just don't let your junk limit that. Yeah? Jared said it a while ago. You know, when did you last seek him earnestly? Poor access limits opportunity and clear access amplifies influence. You know, and if that sounds hard and makes you think, well, I can't do it, makes you wonder whether you want to do it, you know, don't let that thought take seed. Because that thought's not from God. Yeah? You've got more than you enough, more than you need. Jesus has done it. Let me read you this. Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. I'm going to read it from the message. When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt, putting his own reputation on the line. He said, I promise that I'll bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham stuck it out and got everything that had been promised to him. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them so that if there is any question that they'll make good on the promise, the authority will back it up. When God wanted to guarantee his promise, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word, and because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek. You see, in the outside of the, the message where it talks about a spiritual lifeline, it talks about God's word being an anchor that we have an anchor for her, our soul. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see, Jesus has carried the anchor into the presence of God. That's what it tells us. And we're attached to the other end. And you sat an anchor in the waves and I laughed. Because I thought, I got it right. You know, what's the purpose of an anchor? To hold something fast. To keep the boat, to keep you and I securely in place. To keep us where we're meant to be, in grace, in love, in mercy, in forgiveness, in blessing, in favour, in the presence of God. And I thought, well, how is an anchor shaped? It's got the curve because as it drops, that curve helps it to move through. Yeah, it's designed to cut through. Jesus was designed to cut through to get you to the presence of God. Okay, but the anchor's also barbed so that when you try and remove it, it digs in. And Jesus is shaped to get you there. I will put to you, we need to shape our lives that it's difficult to pull us out the presence of God. Shape your life that it's going to hold fast. Shape your life that it's going to grip. Shape your life. Shape your day. 
to hold on to truth and to hold on to him because this morning I promise his access is there. And it's access to his presence, his grace, his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his blessing, his favour and his provision. Jesus made the way he's gone before to secure your place in, his, in God's presence. And we need to understand our responsibility to get, to get right, to live right, to keep access open. And it should be a daily challenge. And it's not always easy. But if you want to dwell on his in the presence... If you want to amplify your influence and increase opportunity, then you need to dwell with him. And we've got to be prepared to acknowledge our need, but our arrogance, our apathy, our hate, our sin, our brokenness.